0: One of the great icons of television, Henry Winkler, joins us here on Pop Culture Confidential. Hey everyone, I'm Christina. Welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential, a Spotify original. Now how cool is this? I have been a fan of Henry Winkler since I was like 7 or 8 years old. Happy Days in the 80s was my weekly TV obsession, and the Fonz, well he was just magic. He was impossibly cool, but with a heart of gold. Arthur Fonzarelli made Henry Winkler a household name and mania a fact. Winkler has continued to connect with new generations, decade after decade, and he's been sought after by some of my favorite TV creators. He's starred on Arrested Development, on Parks and Recreation, cult movies like Scream, and several of the Adam Sandler films. Now he's terrific on HBO's excellent dark comedy, Barry. Barry is played by comedian, SNL alum, and series creator, Bill Hader. He's a hitman who's sick of his job. He finds an artistic awakening in a Los Angeles theater class. The class is led by Gene Cousineau, a self-aggrandizing master acting teacher. Now, there's an actual telephone number that you can call to hear Cousineau's sales pitch about his class. Here is Henry Winkler as Gene Cousineau.
1: Hey, thank you for calling Gene M. Cousineau, acting teacher extraordinaire. Are you ready to take a shot at acting? Sign up for my class and I'll teach you to create life right here on this stage. This is an important first step in your acting journey. Are you ready to let the cat out? Go to sceneswithgene.com. No, don't think. Just sign up.
0: Mr. Winkler, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. You are a... Yale-trained actor, director for decades. Have you ever had a teacher like Gene Cosno?
1: You know, he is a combination of teachers I've had, teachers I've heard about, and teachers that I researched. Um, but yes, uh, there are so many, you know, there are, there are that great expression, if you can't do it, teach it.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> you know, if you lose um, a commercial to a gecko, You better teach.
0: Right, right. Uh, But some have described his, I don't know who it was who wrote that his teaching methods are almost like the Stockholm Syndrome. Pretty sadistic, right?
1: The self-aggrandizement. You know, the whole show, actually, is about people who want to do something and they just are not either good at it or they can't do it, and so they create it somewhere else. Bill... Hater, who is—I uh, don't know whether you know his work or not.
0: Oh, of course, one of the greats. Yeah, he's
1: just a brilliantly funny fellow, and he hooked up uh, by chance, actually, with this other man who is a master writer.
0: Another one of the greats, Alec Berg, who wrote for Seinfeld. Absolutely.
1: And here it is: the if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. <laughs> that the writer is, is the beginning and the end of entertainment. And these guys wrote such juicy characters, and they are also so generous, so that when you bring your imagination to the table, they are completely open to it. There are, there are times when you work and they say, no, 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 do it the way it's written. Do it, do it my way. And you're stifled. Mm-hmm. But not with Alec and not with
0: Bill. It's just perfect.
1: Uh, For me, it is. I'll tell you. uh, It it is. You know, I've been associated with, uh, and I've been blessed that I've wanted to do this since I was 10 years old. I have gotten to do it in so many different, wonderful ways. And then there's Barry. This heat is urgent.
0: This is Ryan Madison. Familiar to my slaughterous thoughts.
1: Hey man, are you new to this class? help me out? Ryan, you're up. I'm going to do the scene with him. And action. What do I, I don't know what to say. Wow. Wow. The acting class made me feel really good. I feel really motivated right now. These are professional actors. They're the real deal and they say I got something. You're a killer, Barry. Acting is a direct conflict, being someone who anonymously kills people. You're gonna be an actor. Here's my only direction. Adapt. Adjust. And let the cat out. Ah! Okay. I see you're still in that place. I'm gonna leave you to your process. Ah! They can wait till Monday. Ah!
0: But I have to ask you because the influence of Happy Days and your generation is awesome. I mean, so many writer comedians that I've interviewed reference Happy Days creator Gary Marshall as a huge influence.
1: Yes. Well, you know why? Gary had an office connected to the theater that he started, the Falcon Theater. And... My vision is, of course, you know, the joke is that there was a bread line that stretched out the building and around the block waiting to get into his office to hear any words of wisdom. And, and I, I watched it happen. And I was one of those, I was on that line. Yeah. I, you know, he was my Don. I, I kissed his ring. He was, you know, he talked like this. He said, well, you know... Uh, to, he said to the network, if, if, if the kid doesn't wear leather and he's riding a motorcycle, he could be hurt." And uh, they said, okay, as long as he's riding his motorcycle, he can wear a leather jacket. Gary called the writer's room at uh, Happy Days and said, you're never going to ride another scene without a motorcycle. I'd like my pasta with ketchup now. <laughs>
0: Because it's true, writers are still referencing him. I mean, Ron Howard is making some of the biggest films of our generation. You've been in the most prestigious cult comedies with these names like, you know, Alec Berg and, and and Parks and Rec and everything. There was something you guys were doing already in the 70s that seems to still work today. Do you know what that secret sauce is?
1: Do you know what, I'll tell you what it is. Everything has changed. There are now 500 venues, not three. Mm-hmm. You know there were three networks, and that was it. And the technology has exploded. You know, it's almost as if you can take, you know, you can take a movie through your finger. It's uh, you know, it's coming down to that. You just imagine <laughs> shoot a film, and it. And it's it's a reality. What hasn't changed is the how. You still have to put word to paper or word to computer you still have to imagine it. You still have to then give it to people who are going to stand it up and become a reality and make it a world. That has not changed since Thezbis. Mm -hmm. And when these people, uh, when Gary Marshall and Tom Miller and Ed Milkes, the the three uh, head um, uh, producers of Happy Days, when Alec Berg and... Bill Hader of Barry, sit in a room and read people and choose the actors to play their parts. It's really difficult when you watch Barry to think, oh, well, you know, anybody could play that.
0: But going back to your part there, um, what's touching also about Gene Casano is that the struggle is still there. He's still auditioning. He's still looking for work. Does this business ever get any easier?
1: no. I auditioned for Barry. Now, I have been in, I've done, I think I started professionally June 30th, 1970. I made $173 uh, a week being part of the Yale Repertory Company, the school that I graduated from, the drama school. And since that time, I have been blessed and on a journey. You know, my joke is, or my, my, my image is, that I take my pick and I take my axe and I mine the system every day because if you wait for it to come to you, you're going to be waiting an awfully long time.
0: But you, you're, you were such, I mean, Fonzie Mania, I remember that it was huge. You, you were everywhere. And it just, you're one of those people that it never seemed to go to your head, the celebrity part of it.
1: Here's the honest truth. I am dyslexic. I have a learning challenge. Honest. I was bad in math. I can't spell to this day. Reading is really difficult because of the wiring in my brain. But I had a dream when I was seven. And when I finally got to live my dream, and I lived it, I mean, times 57 When I got on Happy Days and I was having this incredible time, I did not grow an inch. Mm. I was no taller. I could not do math. I still couldn't spell. So something said in me, oh, I see. All this is happening, but maybe I'm not any different than I was the moment before I started this character. Mm -hmm. And then you have a family and your children, and your wife keep you grounded. They nail your shoes to the earth.
0: Mm. I have to commend it. Your dedication to awareness for dyslexia has been incredible. If people have seen all the books that you have, you know, published, everything you've done to help people learn about this. But I'm really curious, how did you get through Yale? You you say yourself that you didn't read a book until you were like in your thirties.
1: Thirty one. Right, that is true. And every book that I read uh, is like a triumph. I, I have every book, most of the books, almost 99% of the books that I read are hard copy. And they sit on the shelf and they are, I look at them every day and they are like a triumph. Each one is um, a little mountain that I have climbed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, where there is a will, there is a way. If you want something, you are going to figure out how to get it or just pack up your marbles and go home.
0: But did you memorize texts or something when you were doing auditions? Well,
1: I memorized it. I read it one word at a time so that I didn't leave any words out. My eyes would cross. I would fall asleep if I read, you know, for longer than 10 minutes. So I, you just, you find your way. You never lose your dyslexia. You only learn to negotiate it. Right. And that the books that I write are not self-help. They are comedies about somebody that the children who read them go, oh, my God, how did you know me so well? And I have been, you know, I traveled all through Europe uh, going into classrooms, reading our books and talking to the kids about my journey that I was never supposed to be a success, never supposed to achieve.
0: But isn't it interesting how so many creative people on the planet um, have things like dyslexia and ADHD, and, and and that challenge just seems to help them artistically.
1: You know, and it also, it not only helps you, but it pushes you in the direction that, um, you know, God giveth and God taketh away. And, all right, so I can't, do a traditional education. So I learn everything through my ears. I enjoy through my eyes, but I learn through my ear. I, I learn um, by, by just listening intently. It works, and, and it works for a lot of people. Wow. You know, every child that I meet, I say to them, whether they ask me or not, you are powerful You have greatness inside you, and your job is to figure out what your particular gift is, dig it out, and give it to the world, because the world is going to be great only if every human being does what they were meant to do.
0: So you're not only a TV icon, but you also play a huge part in the term that we use in TV criticism called jumping the shark. Maybe you could explain?
1: Okay, this is how Jump the Shark came about. And first of all, I'm going to brag. I am the only actor on the planet who has jumped the shark twice. I jumped the shark on water skis as the Fonz. Mm-hmm. And I, then I jumped the shark on a dock in Arrested Development. <laughs> right, Barry Dugercorn, the lawyer, jumps over a shark. Now, a, a young man who is going to university at Michigan, is sitting in his apartment watching the episode of the Fonz jumping the shark on water skis, and comes up with a phrase, oh my God, that show just jumped the shark. <laughs> and it then be meant when, a, when a, a series or anything has stayed, overstayed its welcome. It's now on the downhill slide. But, of course, I never cared because we were number one for several years after the phrase. And at that time, there were still in, at least in America anyway, newspapers that people actually read. And every time that they mentioned Jump the Shark, they showed a picture of me water skiing. And at that time, I had pretty great legs. <laughs> so I never, <laughs> I never cared.
0: And, and what's so interesting is that so, people don't even remember the story behind Jump the Shark, that the fawns actually jumped over a shark, and now it's just become this reference that mo- a lot of people understand.
1: <laughs> it's true, and if you watch the episode when we went to um, Hollywood to, to visit Richie, and I took a challenge, and the fawns got on water skis, I did all the water skiing except for the jump, because they would never let me do a, uh, a stunt. But at the end of it, I let go of the rope, And I head toward the beach. I come up on the beach with my skis. I step out of the skis. I remain standing, and the kids cheer. But if you look at my face, I am smiling. Now, half that smile is Henry going, Oh, my God, you did it. You're still standing. And the other half is the Fonz going, Hey, look at that. I got out of my skis. I'm cool. (laughs) And it really was like a schizophrenic smile because I remember that moment only so well I couldn't believe I actually pulled it off.
0: That's amazing. I want to go back to to Bill Hader. For those of us who have followed his incredible SNL career, he seems to be, it's very easy for him to laugh (laughs) and he seems to break a lot. How is that on the show?
1: Do you you know, mostly what it is, is, I don't know, it's like a badge of honor. Because when I was auditioning, I auditioned with the casting director. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm seeing that I, who've watched Bill Hader on Saturday Night Live and all the other things that he has done. And I, I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye during the audition. I've made him laugh. <laughs> I thought, well, this is it. This is the greatest day since they made bread.
0: He talks about the fact that what an honor it was to have you come in.
1: I did not feel the honor. (laughs) All I thought about was the, the, now I'm 72 years old, and I have dreamt about this since I was seven. All I felt was the terror of being like at the beginning of my career again, because I'm auditioning for people who really want to see whether you can do it or not. And it's their creation and they have the right and you have to be in the room with them. So I left and I felt pretty good about the audition. And then you wait and it seems like you've waited for a century. And then you get a phone call and Bill says, you want to come back in? This is not an audition. Uh, We're just going to play around. I've written two new scenes. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, I don't want to come in again. What <laughs> happens if I'm not as good as the first time? I don't want to screw that up. Thank you very much. You know, just call somebody else. But, of course, I went in. My son, our youngest son, Max, is a director, a producer, and a writer.
0: Oh, yeah. He
1: a great he, film this year. Uh, he uh, directed my audition at home. Oh, really? I, I was like an amazing thing. And very strict, let me say. Yeah. Dad, there's an exclamation point. Dad, honor the writer. Say what's written. Uh, but, but Max, sometimes I make it You cannot make it up now. <laughs> Let's go do it again. No, I think I got it, Max. Do it again. Okay, okay. And the second time I went in, I, I faxed him the pages, uh, emailed him the pages, and he directed me on the phone and was strict again. But I guess it worked because I got it.
0: Oh, yeah. Talking about the next season of coming up, because you guys already have a season planned, and you already have, we just heard that Arrested Development is coming back. Can you, what can you tell me about these two things? That all are- right.
1: Well, first of all, let me just say, uh, we shot it in, um, I shot three episodes um, of the season in November, October. And that was season five.
0: Of Arrested, we're talking about
1: now, right? Of Arrested Development. Right. Season four, nobody was there at the same time. Barry Zuckerkorn did scenes with people that were light stands with tape on them. Oh, And now at the, at the right height. So I was talking to a metal post. Uh, going, oh, Jessica, yes, of course, whatever. Oh, Jeff Tambor, yes, of course. Uh, What a pleasure, it's nice.
0: Another glamorous part of the industry, right?
1: I'm telling you, amazing. See, that's why you have to prepare. If I was going to say anything to a a young actor, um, I would say preparation, Mm -hmm. preparation, preparation, and then tenacity. Those two things. Will move you to where you want to go. You know, uh, I see myself as a uh, a toy with sand at the bottom, and you punch it, and then it goes down, and then it goes. <laughs> it comes right Thumbs back up. up to center. You know that little. Um, that, oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's who I see my. I see myself as that toy. So this year, fifth, the fifth season, everybody was in the room at the same time, and it was like. The beginning. It was
0: joyous. We can't wait to see both of those. But um, finally, I have two sons that are going into their teens now, and I'm not particularly cool to them, as you can imagine.
1: That's okay. Do You know what? Can I can I take? I mean, I, I, you might be you might be joking, but as uh, from my perspective, you know, I take everything seriously when you say a, a sentence. Can I just say one thing? They are depending on you. Not being cool.
0: Okay, well, that's true.
1: They literally are depending on you being the in structure comes freedom. If you got cool, they would not know what to do. I'm just telling you, thank you, I'm done.
0: No, I, compl- I, I think you're actually right. They need a parent. But I'm thinking once in a while in some situation where they happen to be with their friends, I remember the fawns. I mean, you didn't even have to comb your hair. You were so cool. I'm thinking if there's...
1: That, and- that moment, yes. that exact moment was I promised myself, I don't know if, if you know this, but I promised myself that I would never comb my hair because every actor that played a part like this like the Fonz, Mm -hmm. combed their hair, Mm -hmm. had a a comb in their back pocket.
0: Right, that 50s macho type of of sensitive guy. So
1: in the pilot of Happy Days, it's written that the Fonz goes to the mirror and combs his hair. And I said to the director, (laughs) I'm so sorry. I made a deal with myself. I'll do anything. I'll go to the mirror. I'll check anything, you know, but I can't comb my hair. And he said... (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that funny? Okay, it's written on the page. <laughs> Go comb your hair. I walked up to the mirror. I pulled my comb out. I held it up, and I went, I don't have to comb it because it's perfect. And that came completely, unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to them, it just came completely out,
0: it was out of my body. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: And I-, I was being true to myself and a professional because I was making $1,000 a week. That's more money than I had ever seen. So I was, I was being true to them and true to myself. And then that moment defined the character. It did. So that's why I, I tell all young actors that I meet, you're not here to just fill time or space. You're here to fill the time and space with your imagination because there is no perfection So go for the
0: gold. Mr. Winkler, then I will take that advice and use that to be cool. Thank you so much for your time. And and this this role is going to get you that Emmy. I'm absolutely sure you're incredible. Thank you very much.
1: You know, I've had the most wonderful time chatting with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much to Mr. Henry Winkler. Do not miss the season finale of Barry that's coming right up. And if you haven't been watching it, make sure to catch up. It's on HBO now. And thank you for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. You can follow us on Instagram, Pop Culture Confidential, or on Twitter, at Pod Pop Culture. And I'll see you next week on Spotify.